Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 1, Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me, and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart, and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of at all by them? Therefore speak unto them, and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that setteth up idols in his heart, and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and cometh to the prophet, I the Lord will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols, that I may take the house of Israel in their own heart, because they are all estranged from me through their idols. Now sort of tongue-in-cheek referred to this message with the idea that this could be my swan song today, okay? Because we're going to deal with something very, very personal in a very personal way. In a bulletin article a few weeks ago, I mentioned the courage of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a courageous prophet. He's known as the weeping prophet because he wept for Israel. But Jeremiah came before the king and he came. Now remember, the king had the power of life and death over Jeremiah. And Jeremiah came to the king and he announced a prophecy of doom and a prophecy of gloom and a prophecy of defeat to the king. He had great courage and he trusted God. He had great faith in God. And I, you remember in that article indicated that all of us, especially the preacher, need that courage. I said something the other day on Facebook. I said, I guess I'm just having an Elijah moment. Because you remember several weeks and months and years ago, I asked God to make me an Elijah. Well, I didn't necessarily want the Elijah moment, but I wanted to be like the preacher Elijah. But I had one of those, you know, when uh, 1 Kings 19, where Elijah went out in the wilderness and sat under the juniper tree. I had one of those days. And it happens, I guess, sometimes to all preachers. But we look at these men that God called, and, and the preacher especially, but all of God's people need the courage of Jeremiah. But we keep reading through the Bible, and we come to Ezekiel, and here's a prophet of God that has the very same or similar courage to stand before people and say, here's what God says. This is not what Ezekiel says. This is what God says. And he gives this servant of his a very, very difficult and a very, very frightening message to deliver to his people. Now, let me tell you this. Pastoring and preaching both involve taking God's message and God's word to God's people. It's not just filling a pulpit and filling up time on a Sunday morning. I never want to be guilty of just trying to fill up the time from point A to point B on a Sunday morning. I fuss a lot about preachers today who just want to get up in about 15 or 20 minutes, give a little sweet sermonette to people and send them on their way and do absolutely nothing for them spiritually. Amen. But you know what? It's difficult to stand before people you love and preach a hard message. I never enjoyed, now she'll tell you differently, but I never enjoyed chastening my children. I never got a kick out of it. It just hurt. And any parent knows that, don't you? You don't like chastening your children. But sometimes it's necessary. And sometimes difficult messages are necessary for God's preachers to preach. And I'm going to tell you this. Preachers have enough of the flesh in them that they like to be popular. And they like to be liked. 
and they love to be appreciated just like anyone else does. But you know, I've got another reason that a preacher might go soft on God's word. You know what it is? Listen to Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 30 and 31. The Lord says through Jeremiah, a wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. My people. God said, my people. The prophets are prophesying falsely. The priests aren't doing their job. And God said, my people like it that way. It sort of reminds me of what is said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Because Paul said there, the time will come when they'll not endure sound doctrine. But they'll heap to themselves teachers. And I'm going to insert a word here because they have itching ears. And they'll turn away their ears from the truth, he says, and be turned to fables. I think that's the same thing that Jeremiah is saying in the fifth chapter of Jeremiah. And sadly, the attitude many times in the Lord's churches today is this. Preacher, make the message short and sweet and don't offend anybody. And you'll be doing all right. But listen, if you preach the whole counsel of God, you know what? Some people are going to get upset. Now, I've said before, and I will say again, just for the record, because I want you to understand, if something I do, you know, I sort of treat the announcements, I have to look on them as commercials. I mean, that's sort of the way I view the announcements when we have the announcement time. I don't mind being a little humorous with the announcements. And when something funny comes up in the message, I don't mind that. And so if I offend you by just me, okay, tell me, I'll apologize. But now if the word of God offends you, you take it up with the one that wrote it, okay? And it's just the preacher sharing the word of God. Preacher, what has somebody said to you? Not a thing. Don't worry about that. Nobody's gotten on to me for preaching long except the nursery, but we're just going to ignore them. But, well, that'll make them happy, won't it? I expect one of them to come through the door and look at me. But anyway, if nobody said anything. Nobody's complained. But again, you have to understand these are things that sometimes go through the pastor's mind. But listen, if I quit feeding you the Word of God, and if I get to the point where I'm just up here to fill up time, you know, fill up from, as I said, point A to point B, and get a salary, and then go home, it's time for this church to look for a new pastor. Because God may be getting ready to deal with the one that's standing up here when that happens, okay? You say, you sure are being plain this morning. Well, that's sort of the way the message came to me, all right? This message deals with how people come to church, with how some people come to church. Some come to hear God's word and come to worship. Something that I posted just this week said this, I remember when people used to come to church to hear a message from God's word and to worship God. You know why a lot of people go to church today? To be entertained. And the church is expected to put on a big show and a good show. And then there are some who come to church to appear to be a faithful servant of God when in heart they're not. We need to remember a couple of verses of scripture before we begin the body of this message this morning. And one is Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 which says this, 
The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. People say, trust your heart. You be careful about trusting your heart. The heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, which says, This people draw near to me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. We need to keep those two verses in mind as we go through this message from the 14th chapter of Ezekiel this morning. Now, we read the 14th chapter, we're going to read some in the 33rd chapter in just a moment, presents two different incidents that happened at two different times, but I think they're very, very similar as we look at them this morning. And we look at this 14th chapter, the first thing we see is what I call the appearing of these men. Some men who are called the elders of Israel came to Ezekiel to make a request of him. Now, we know what the request was probably because of what God says in verse 3. They came to Ezekiel to get some word from God. They wanted to hear what God had to say, or at least they claimed that they did. Some say these were men who were newly come to Babylon from Israel. Some say these were Israelites who had been in Babylon for a while. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, and that really doesn't matter. They're called elders, which means that they were up in years, and they were supposed to be mature men. They should have been men who were faithful to the Lord. And there's a lot of suggestions about what they wanted to hear. Does God have some word about the length of our exile? Is there some news from home? Or maybe they're coming, and some have suggested this, maybe they're coming to get something from Jeremiah that they can use against him as a prophet there in Babylon. Again, we don't know. And God takes care of that issue. But these men have been compared to some church attenders who might come on a Sunday morning not necessarily to worship God. They may come for other reasons. I like what J. Vernon McGee said. He said they pretend they want to listen to the prophet. It's like coming to church with a big Bible under your arm pretending you want to serve the Lord. And folks, whether we want to admit it or not, that happens in churches. People show up, they, they, oh, look, they call up people brother and sister, and they got Bibles under the arms, but they have no intention of serving God. They're like the people spoken of. Now let's turn over to chapter 33 for a moment. They're like the people spoken of in Ezekiel chapter 33. I love these verses. They sound so much like today. God says, to Ezekiel, through Ezekiel, also thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee, or about thee, by the walls and in the doors of the houses, and speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy word. Doesn't that sound good? Hey, you're making a big splash in town, Ezekiel. People are talking about you, Ezekiel. People are saying, let's go hear what the prophet has to say. The prophet has a word from God. Let's go and listen to him. And he says, they come as the people come, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words. But what's that next phrase? But they will not do them. I wish I could give a quiz sometimes out in the parking lot after the services. What was the message about? What did the preacher say about this? What did the Bible say about this? 
I might not want to do that kind of quiz, might I? But he said, they come, they want to hear what you have to say, but they don't intend to do them. It's really neat to go to church on a Sunday morning and listen to a good sermon we can say amen to. But are we going to do what it says? Say, are we complimenting the preacher or are we agreeing with God's word? Someone put these verses this way. Your people talk about you in their houses and whisper about you at the doors. They say to each other, come on, let's go hear the prophet tell us what the Lord is saying. So my people come pretending to be sincere and sit before you. They listen to your words, but they have no intention of doing what you say. Folks, that is religion in 21st century America. I don't want to be thought bad, so I'll go to church. I'll show up at church. And a lot of people come for the show. And the choir and the preacher better put on a good show or they won't be back. But I want people to see me at church. And my prayer is this, Lord, give your people and give your churches the desire not only to hear your word, but the desire to go out day by day and do your word. If you hear without doing, what good is the hearing, right? Remember we mentioned Isaiah 29 verse 13. The people draw near to me with their mouth, with their lips they honor me, but their heart is far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Jesus quoted Isaiah in the 15th chapter of Matthew. He said in verse 7, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah, or Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain, they, what is vain? What is vanity? It's, it's worthlessness, it's uselessness. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And there are folks like that in the Lord's churches today. Preacher, are you saying I'm one of those? That's between you and the Lord. I'm just pointing out that they exist. Do they exist in this church? I don't know. I don't know your heart. I don't know why you're here today. Did you come to hear the message from the Word of God to go out and not do it? Did you come to hear the message from the Word of God to be edified in your heart and in your life and your soul as a child of God? I don't know why. But we have folks like that in the Lord's churches today. They come, they sit, they enjoy the sermon, but they do it as if they were watching a play or they were watching a movie or some video. And when the service is over, they'll even go out and say to the preacher, good message. Now, if they were to finish that phrase, I don't intend to do it. But good message, preacher, that's as far as it goes. And you know what my experience has been? Many times those are the most pharisaical people in the church. The pretenders. Say, boy, I understand why you called this your swan song, right? Listen, it doesn't matter how often you come to church, how big a Bible you carry when you do, how many notes you take during the message. If you aren't hearing God's word and have a desire to obey God's word and to do what his word says, you're no different than these in Ezekiel's days. So there's their appearing. They just came and said, okay, here we are. Now we're going to see their actions. He said, they sat before me. They came in and they sat down. I'm going to leave that right there. But this word sat can carry the thought of sitting quietly. Now I know this definition may not sound like it applies today, but really it should. They sat down quietly, much like a student that sits quietly before the teacher waiting to hear instruction. I have been a substitute teacher in the schools. They don't all come in and sit down and wait to hear the instruction of the teacher, right? 
But the idea of said here is that you, you, they came in and they're waiting for the teacher to say something. It's the same word that's used in the second chapter of Job, the 13th verse. After Job had lost everything, his so-called friends came and it says they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights. And this is when they did their best work because it says none spake a word. That's when those friends were the most used to Job. They came, they sat down with him, they were silent because they saw that his grief was very great. But they just came in and they sat down silently. Look at the activities, go back to Ezekiel 33, that are described. Verse 30, it says, first of all, again, that Ezekiel had made this big splash in town. The children of thy people are still talking against or about thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses. And here's what they're saying. They're saying, come on, let's go hear what the word of the Lord is from the prophet. Let's go hear the latest news from God. Let's go see what the preacher has to say. I, yeah, I can almost hear the sarcasm in their voice. Well, let's go hear what the preacher has to say today. Let's go hear what the preacher's going to harp on today, right? Verse 31, they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before me as my people. It's a Sunday morning. I want to be there on Sunday morning. Somebody said one time, people that come on Sunday morning come for themselves. People that come on Sunday night, I think this is the way it goes, come for others. People that come on Wednesday night come for the Lord. But they come and they sit as my people and they hear the words, but they won't do them. And look what verse 32 says again. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. Just like showing up for a concert. And you know what it is? It's all a performance. That's what they're seeking. There are folks that come seeking a performance. And again, the choir better be good, and the preacher better be good, and anybody that sings a solo better be good, because this is what we came for. Many who sit under the word of God like the performance. They don't like the preaching. They don't like the, the message. They don't like what God's saying or the instruction. They like the performance, but they don't like the preaching. Again, the message needs to be not too loud. I blew that one, didn't I? Short-winded. Well, there's two out of three, all right. And getting on to them. Them who? Well, them. Lady went by one time and shook my hand. She said, Preacher, you really told them, didn't you? I wanted to say, weren't you here? You know? I appreciate Sister Margie. She came out last Sunday morning, shook my hand, and she said, you really got on to us today. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Right? Or somebody comes by, and I've had this happen. Oh, I wish so-and-so would have been here to hear that message. They weren't. You were, you know. What are you going to do with the message you heard, right? Years ago, and if you have a bulletin, just look at the back of it. Years ago, I wrote a little poem. I don't know why I wrote it, don't know when I wrote it, but I wrote a little poem, and it's called simply Church. Church is a place to tolerate, a place to sit and stew, a place to feel uncomfortable when the preaching's right at you. Church is a place of fellowship to see and be seen. A place to be with all our friends with a week stuck in between. It's a place we share gossip and catch up on the latest news. It's a fashion show for others and a haven for a few. 
Is this the most that you would say that your church means to you? If so, my friend, you're missing out on blessings also true. For church is a place to worship, to sing and offer praise, to hear a message from God's word and to bring glory to his name. It's at church that the Lord intended for us to get a lift, to go out into the world each week and share his precious gift, the gift of life that comes from Christ by faith in his shed blood, through trusting in his sacrifice, for we have nothing good. So as you visit church today, consider why you do. Seek the Lord while he is near your spirit to renew. Church. Why do we come to church? I think I tried to sum it up in that. In Ezekiel's day, there were people who were just going through the motions. You know, the idea is do something religious. Well, they found something religious to do, and they did it. But you know what the scripture says of folks like that? Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away, the scripture says. So we have their appearance. They just came, and we have their actions. They sat, and now we have their asking, but they didn't get to ask. Okay. We're not told that they opened their mouths and said a thing to Ezekiel, are we? They didn't have to. Because God who knows all hearts, God who knows all thoughts, God who knows all minds, spoke to Ezekiel before they could ask a thing, before they could say, give us a prophecy from the Lord. And what it says in verse 3 is, God said, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face, and then God asked a question of Ezekiel, I guess directed toward them, should I at all be inquired by them? They're going to ask me? They're going to inquire me, and they've got idols in their hearts, and they've got stumbling blocks of sin before their eyes? God's saying, why should I listen to their requests? Why should I listen to their questions? Why should I even bother with their prayers? So wait a minute. Now listen. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 15. God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. God told his people at one point, there's so much sin in the land, I'm not even going to listen to you when you pray. Sin interrupts our fellowship with God. Sin affects our prayer life. James chapter 5 verse 16, James said, is the effectual fervent prayer of a, what kind of man? Righteous man that avails much. Not the prayer of just anybody that's powerful and avails much. God said it's, through James, it's the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, a man that is right with God, a person that is right with God. These had come to inquire of God Maybe they came to say, Lord, why are we here? Why are you doing this to us? We're supposed to be your people. I don't know what they wanted to inquire, what they wanted to ask. But they had come to inquire of God, and God brings charges against them. You like to have charges brought against you? God brings charges. Verse 3, these men have set up their idols in their hearts. I like what old Adam Clark said. These men had set up their idols in their heart, not only in their houses or in the streets, but they had them in their hearts. It's one thing, and it's not good, but it's one thing to have an idol set up in your house or in the street, but when that idol's in your heart, okay? Their idols may have been outwardly evident, but most of all, they were in their hearts. And that's a hidden sin to men. We got idols in our hearts this morning. I can't tell whether you do or not. The person sitting next to you doesn't know whether you have an idol in your heart or not, but God knows. Because God knows our hearts. He knows what's in our hearts. 
You know, we get concerned about what people see of us on the outside. You know, I, I try to look, you know, there's only so much I can work with. But I try to look as nice as possible, all right? But what if people could see on the inside? What would they think of us if they could see past this fleshly veil and see our hearts and see what was really in our hearts? What would they say about us? What would they think about us then? Well, guess what? God can do that. And God knows what's in our hearts and he knows what's in our minds and he knows our motives. He knows and he sees absolutely everything that we do. And then God said this, these men have put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Just like an unfaithful spouse, their hearts were no longer belonging to God. Let me guarantee you this, before we ever sin outwardly, we've sinned in our hearts inwardly. The unfaithfulness, the rejection of God has already taken place inside before it ever comes to the outside. Listen to what Proverbs 14, 14 says. And I'm going to try to emphasize a phrase here. The backslider in heart, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. Where does backsliding begin for a child of God? Begins in his heart. His heart gets turned away from God. His heart gets separated from the will and the word of God. And so he just turns away from God. He said he'll be filled with his own ways. So what's in our heart? When Demas, Paul said, Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world. Before Demas ever left Paul, Demas was in love with the world. He saw what the world had to offer and he fell in love with it and so he quit working with Paul. Psalm 53 verse 1, we know this one. It's also Psalm 14 verse 1. The fool hath said where? In his heart there is no God. And God calls him a fool. But before a person ever stands up and publicly says, I don't believe in God, they've already said it in their hearts. They've already rejected God in their hearts before it ever comes out of their mouth. Proverbs 19, verse 21. I like this one. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. The word devices means contrivances, plans, whether good or bad. There are many plans in your heart. There are many contrivances in your heart. But listen, they may not work out, but the counsel of God, he says, that's what's going to stand. When we approach God in prayer and we have idols in our hearts, you say, would we really have idols in our hearts? Hang on, I'll get to that in just a moment. But when we approach God in prayer with idols in our hearts, we need to remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 16, 18. He said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I've got sin in my heart, I've got sin in my life, and I go to God in prayer, God's not going to hear that. He'll hear the words. He knows. I mean, God hears everything we say. He knows what we're saying. But, in, you know, there's two kinds of hearing. There's hearing where we hear what somebody says. And then there's hearing with the idea of doing what is asked or, or following what is asked or whatever. And God will hear the prayer in that way of just hearing the word. But listen, we go to God with iniquity in our hearts. That prayer is not going to be heard. It's not going to be answered. 
What did God say to Israel in Isaiah 59 verse 2? He said, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. 20th chapter of Ezekiel, similar situation. Okay, is in our text. Son of man, speak unto the elders of Israel and say unto them, thus saith the Lord God, are you come to inquire of me? As I live, saith the Lord God, I will not be inquired of you. They had idols in their hearts and they had the, the stumbling block of sin before their eyes. And God said, I ain't listening. I'm sorry, he, didn't, he wouldn't say ain't, would he? God said, I'm not listening. I'm not going to hear you. You can make many prayers, but I'm not going to hear you. When we come to church or we open the word of God with idols in our hearts and a stumbling block of sin before our eyes, there's a pretty good chance we're going to miss the message that God has for us. We're just not going to hear it. Some people come to church not really wanting to be there. Well, my wife made me come. My husband made me come. My parents made me come. Somebody visited me and twisted my arm till I came, you know, whatever. Don't really want to be there. Some people come to church. They come, they're angry, they're jealous. There's pettiness in their hearts. You know what? They're going to miss the message. They're going to miss the word of God. Still others attend and they're about half conscious as to where they are and what's going on. Vance Habner said one time, if we paid attention to the words of some of these songs we sing, we might have to close our mouths. Amen. All to Jesus I surrender. Did you? Oh, how I love Jesus. Do you? Now, we sing songs like that all the time. Lord, make me a channel of blessing to others. Do you really want to be that? Just think about the songs that we sing. And sometimes we might just have to close our mouths. Now, to this. For those who can't see it, it's not as big as I wanted. I had forgot my box this morning. I'm not going to pull a rabbit out of it. But here's this. I wish. And I, I meant to have a big one, big box out right outside the sanctuary that said, Distraction contraption. Okay, distraction contraption. I thought that'd be a neat name for it. Well, what are you talking, preacher? You've lost your mind, right? No. I wish we'd have a big box just outside the sanctuary door that as we started to come in the sanctuary, we can just empty everything into it that was going to distract us from the Word of God. And I don't just mean cell phones, okay? And iPads and things. I mean things that have happened to me this week. Put it in there. An attitude that I have, put it in there. This and that's going on in my life, put it in there. Leave it outside here. So we come in here with clear minds and hearts ready to hear the word of God. Folks, God's word deserves all of our attention. Not half the people say, well, I can, I can do other things and listen. You're not giving full attention to the word of God. And God, deserves, you know what he said? He said, I'll not share my glory with another. God won't take second place. And I don't think God will take a divided mind, a mind that's divided by distractions or whatever, and say, well, I'm going to bless that. No, God wants our full attention. Have you ever tried reading your Bible daily without paying full attention to what you were reading? Confession time, all right. I thought I would read a little while the television was on the other night read a few verses and say, what did I just read? And you go back and read it again. Oh, wait a minute. I didn't catch all of that. And you go back and read it again. You can't do it without giving it your full attention. 
and the preaching of the word of God deserves our full attention. Now, would God's people really have idols? Sure they do. Every year about this time, see I'm doing this early because I don't want to get in trouble next month. It might be our favorite football team and there are idols. Or it might be, ladies give me something, a sale at pennies, okay, <laughs> I don't know. But things that come in and distract us from serving God. Anything we love more, fear more, serve more, care for more than God has become an idol. And you've heard me say this, but there's one idol that is very close and is very convenient, and that idol's name is spelled S-E-L-F. Self. I don't want to go to church today because I. I'm upset about this at church because I. Whatever it may be, the preacher offended me with a message, so I won't go back. That's a good one for this morning, isn't it? So I won't go back. Listen. If he's a God-called preacher, preaching God's message, led by the Spirit of God, folks, it's God's message, it's not the preacher's message. Amen. Say, who got under your skin this morning, preacher? I'm just reading Ezekiel, and this came about. I didn't get my way. I'm mad about it. You know what the Bible says? Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. It says, be angry and sin not, but don't let the sun, don't hold a grudge. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Well, the services are not convenient for me, so I won't make an effort to attend. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, God's word says absolutely nothing about convenience when it comes to worshiping God. Now, the word convenient is in the Bible because there was a man who said, to the apostle Paul said, I'll hear you in a more convenient season. And that man died lost and is in hell today. That's the only thing about convenient that the Bible, and people want services to be convenient for them. There are millions of other excuses. You know what? Excuses are free and they're all over the place. And if you don't want to come to church, if you've got an idol in your heart, if you've got the stumbling block of sin before you, you'll find an excuse. With absolutely no problem. Satan will make sure you get one. Just remember that our refusal to come and to worship God will have an effect on other people. I've seen so many times that somebody will invite a friend or neighbor to church and the Sunday that friend or neighbor shows up, they're not here. It'll work that way almost every time. Or, this gets real personal, not for me, and somebody's going to say, well, you're talking about me. I'm not trying to talk about anybody, but I've seen this in churches I've pastored. Parents that have a child at the age of accountability, just they're, they're asking questions about salvation. God's working on them very close to repenting toward God and putting their faith in Christ, and all of a sudden, a parent will get upset about something, they quit coming to church. So because of your feelings, because of your ego, you're willing to go to heaven and let your child die and go to hell? Is that it? You know? You say, that's plain, preacher. Well, I'm sorry. It's, it's plain time, isn't it? Not playing time, plain time. All right? We witness to people and then drop out of church and they show up. Person that witnessed to them, not there. These had idols in their hearts. That's what God said. And you know, we can make an idol out of anything. 
We can make an idol out of pleasure. We can make an idol out of recreation. We can make an idol out of family. Do you realize that? We can make an idol out of family. I don't want my family to be my idol. Because God can take away our idols. Yeah, I'm going to mention cell phones. We can make an idol out of our cell phones. Well, I mean, I see people every day walking down the street worshiping them. You know, almost get hit by a car or something like that. We can make an idol out of tradition. We've never done it this way before. We've always done it this way. You know, two of the favorite Baptist phrases. We can make an idol out of our cares, our houses, our money, anything that we can put before God becomes an idol. So these come, they appear, their actions, they sit. They don't even get to ask because God answered them before they ask. And here's the answer. And God gave Ezekiel the answer without these ever asking the question. Verse 3, should I be inquired at all by them? By the way, what's the obvious answer to the question in verse 3? No. They got idols in their hearts and they got stumbling block of sin before their face and they want to come and ask me? No. And verse 4, I the Lord will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols. Uh-oh. God says, I'll give them the kind of answer that their idolatry deserves. God promised that their idolatry and ours, that their hidden sin and ours would bring an answer, but it's going to be an answer of judgment and it's going to be an answer of actions and not words. I think these verses are vital. Vital to anybody who comes to the scripture seeking an answer from God. Listen, no true direction can be given to someone that has an idol in their heart or idols in their hearts. You've got to get rid of the idols. Remember all the way back in 1 Samuel when the Israelites wanted to have a revival and come close to God. One of the first things Samuel said to them is get rid of the idols. You can't have revival with idols. Get them out of your life. Get them out of your heart. Preacher, I want to draw closer to God. You may have to just turn the television off a bunch. I think there's a lot of Americans that worship that thing and it's not worth worshiping. You know, sometimes I look at mine and I say, why do I have this? Anything that I watch is at least from the 1970s. I told Johnny the other day, I said, there's nothing on the major network televisions today that I care to watch. Nothing. It's filth. It's garbage. It's filled with foul language and suggestive situation. Why does a child of God want to watch that? There's nothing on there I want to watch. And if you watch, I'm going to pick on sports because I like to watch sports. I'll watch, you know, I'll watch baseball. I'll watch college football at least, some pro football. I'll watch this. But who sponsors them? The beer companies. Good luck. Listen to what God said through Paul in Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Just depends on what we're sowing to. Corruption is decay, it's ruin. And it explains why so many unsaved are that way and why so many saved are are out of fellowship with God and have trouble in their lives. They're sowing to the flesh. They're sowing to the flesh. They're sowing to the flesh throughout the week and then they come on Sunday with idols in their hearts and they want to look like they're worshiping God. Verse 5, God promises His judgment. Let's go back to chapter 14 if you're not back there already. 
Verse 5 says this, that I may take the house of Israel in their own heart because they are all estranged from me through their idols. They're all estranged. The whole house of Israel. Listen, this is not a promise. This is a threat. This word take has the idea of seizing, of capturing, okay? God says, I'm going I'm to capture them. I'm going to capture the whole house of Israel. The word conveys the idea of the forceful seizing of prisoners or an animal or the conquest of a city. And I like this one, parents seizing a rebellious child. I told you to sit down, right? God says, I'm going to seize your hearts. God says, I'm going to take your hearts. And what he's saying is the idols captured your heart. I'm going to retake of mine what was captured, okay? I will retake your hearts. And God says he's going to retake their hearts, how? Through judgment. Through the judgment, they're in Babylon. He's going to retake them through judgment. Listen, if we let the world, the flesh, and the devil take our hearts as children of God, God will try to win us back. He will try to win us back through conviction. He will try to win us back through coaxing. You know, right at first we may not be too far from God and he may use a message like this to touch our hearts. Okay, I need to get back right with God. If it goes on, he may convict us and then he'll try to correct us. You know what the last one is? He'll have to chasten us. You know, it's like with a child, you say, don't do that. And they keep doing it. I said, don't do that. And they keep doing that. If you don't quit doing that, I'm going to. And listen, if you make a threat as a parent, you better carry it out. Because if you don't, guess what? Outside, well, they don't mean it. And I'll just keep doing it. And then finally, you have to say, okay, that, that's the end of it. This is, it ends here. And you take chastisement into your own hands. Well, that's what God is threatening. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, and we might as well think spanking at times there, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Listen, if you profess to be a child of God and you can just sin, 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 sin against God and God never corrects you, God never chastens you, you better check your salvation. Because God says, I spank my children. I don't spank the world's children, but I spank mine. And if you can live outside the will of God and God never chastens you, you might not be God's. Best not to wait to get to that point in your heart. Just give it to your father and let him bring you back. That's the best thing to do. Hebrews chapter, and here's why, by the way. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I've been chastened by God. I'm not going to ask any of you if you have, but I have been. Folks, it's not fun. It's not enjoyable. And then Hebrews 12, 29 says this, for our God is a consuming fire. I want to be right with God. You know, I tell you, one of the reasons I stand for the things I do and preach the things I do is because I'm, no, I'm going to stand in judgment before God. 
And I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well, that ought to be the desire of every child of God. Well, we're going to wrap it up as it was with Ezekiel in Babylon. Folks, that's the way it is in our present world. What do you mean, preacher? We don't know the hearts of people who are assembled together to worship God. Only the individual and God know. God knows our motives. He knows our comings and goings. Hebrews 4.12 just tells us that the Word of God will reveal our motives for doing the things that we do. It'll just get right down to the, to the meat of things. It says, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And the Lord said here in Ezekiel that he will not be inquired of by hypocritical followers. Some ask, why are my prayers not being answered? Why am I not getting anything out of the church service anymore? It may be because we have erected idols in our hearts. See, James chapter 1-8 says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And the double mind of that verse makes true inquiry and true prayer for God's guidance impossible. I'm going to be out of fellowship with God. I'm going to enjoy being out of fellowship with God. And yet I want God to lead me. I want God to teach me. I want to come and worship God. God says, no. No. You've got to be right with me before any of this other can take place. There's one thing that God wants from a lost person. You know what that is? Repentance toward him and faith in Jesus Christ. God wants every lost person to be saved. And all are born into this world separated from him. And he wants the very first thing, the very one thing he wants is salvation. Well, what about when you're saved? God wants one thing. Obedience. Living faithfully for him. Not when it's convenient, but on an everyday basis. Trusting him with our lives.